brief survey. How many of you have blown out candles on a birthday cake? Some of you haven't. We need to have a party. How many of you got one spank for each year of the age of your birthday? Uh, quite a few. How many of you on your birthday got your nose buttered? Oh, wow, look at that. It's not just my dad's side of the family. <laughs> you know, some families have quirky rituals. I'm glad it's not just mine. <laughs> and, this, and this one, this quirky ritual, came to mind as we have two scripture passages today that relate. Psalm 23 is a favorite for so many people. Even though we don't carry around rods and staffs anymore, and most Baptists don't get our heads anointed with oil unless we're a part of the Hopkins clan or the Austin clan or the Stump clan or a few of you others, Austin, other Austins. <laughs> Thou anointest my head with oil, we said earlier. Exodus 30 has the Lord telling Moses to anoint the table, the candlesticks, and the altar, to set them apart as holy. Priests and prophets were anointed with oil to set them apart as holy, to be used to honor God. Also, as young David was anointed by the prophet Samuel. The Hebrew word Mashiach, we say it as Messiah, means anointed one. Christos in Greek, or Christ, also means anointed one. And it is this Christ whom God set apart as holy who does another kind of anointing to a man born blind. Even the children found it gross. Anointing in history also has been done for healing, as it was in this case with Jesus. And even today, how many of you have anointed a child's scraped elbow with a kiss? How many, how many of you have anointed a child's scraped elbow with Neosporin? Yeah. So we still do that, and Linda, I saw your hand. Linda was anointed prior to starting radiation um, by Roy's priest, uh, which is very touching. So it's still going on today. It's not new. It's not old. I mean, it's very old, and it continues to happen. The blind man in our story doesn't ask Jesus to heal him. But Jesus invites him into the story of faith by stepping into his life. Now again, to us, it's kind of disgusting the way that Jesus did that, but so the story goes, and when Jesus told the man to go wash in the pool of Siloam, the man does what Jesus says. He does what Jesus says. Listening to Jesus leads the man not only to gain his sight, but his faith. A Sunday school teacher asked a group of children in her class, why do you believe in God? And one boy said, I don't know, unless it's something that runs in the family. 
Well, I had a conversation with an atheist recently, and I've been reading a book he lent me called I Sold My Soul on eBay, first part of the title, subtitle, Viewing Faith Through an Atheist's Eyes. The author is Hemant Mehta. He grew up in a religious family, and as a teenager, as teenagers are wont to do and are supposed to do, began questioning the faith of his parents. He found in his questioning and his research no logical scientific proof of God's existence, and so he chose to stop believing in God. He says he's not completely closed off to the existence of God, and so in the book he reflects on his experiences of attending different churches to see whether he might find evidence of God there. And in the end, Meta says that it would take a miracle, a class A miracle for him to change his mind about believing in God. Had the blind man in today's Bible reading been an atheist like Meta, this incident would have changed him into a believer. But the blind man is a man of faith. He's Jewish. After Jesus anoints him and he goes to wash, he finds he can see. And over the course of John's detailed narrative, we see the man's journey to faith in Jesus. First, talking to his neighbors, the one who healed him is simply the man called Jesus. Step one is a conversation about our experiences. And then the Pharisees, who are among the Jewish leaders, ask for his story. And after arguing about it among themselves, they turn again to the man and ask, what do you say about him? He is a prophet. Not just a man anymore. He's a prophet. There's something more to him. Step two. After the Pharisees question the man's nervous parents, they bring the formerly blind man in again, and he considers what has happened to him and responds to them, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So there's step three. He is from God. He's not just a man. He's not just a prophet. He's from God. Step three leads to the formerly blind man being driven out of the synagogue. He was excommunicated, which sometimes, even today, happens as the result of telling our stories of faith. After Jesus' longest absence in any of the Gospels, he now reappears at the end of the story. He reappears to the man whose neighbors did not trust him, whose parents thought more of their relationship with religion than they did of their son, whose family of faith has thrown him out. When everyone else is gone, Jesus, the good shepherd, searches for the man. And after this encounter, after this conversation, the man says, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Step four combines encounter, belief, 
and worship. So have you ever thought through your stages of faith? I would say most of us here started our lives in families of faith. But we got to a point where we began to question the faiths of our fathers or our mothers. And there are some who would tell us that it is presumptuous to question our faith, presumptuous to question God, that God does not like being questioned. I disagree. And I'm not alone in that. I think most of you disagree too. Deep faith is formed through questioning, even through doubting. The Bible does not shy away from doubt. In Malachi 1, 2, Israel doubts God's love. I have loved you, said the Lord, but you ask, how have you loved us? In the last chapter of Matthew's gospel, after the resurrection, the 11 disciples went to Galilee. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted, including, we are told in the late, late in the gospel of John, Thomas, one of Jesus' own disciples. And even Jesus seemed to doubt God's presence when he cries out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Hemet Mehta, the atheist, challenges some of the propositions of our faith. He says that when taken to their logical conclusion, they don't make sense. For instance, we may thank God profusely for answering our prayers for good health when someone gets better, but do we thank God when the opposite happens? Do we blame God for suffering as the disciples did at the beginning of this passage? Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind. Suffering appeared to them as a sign of God's judgment. And yet even Jesus allowed that he was born blind for a reason, so that God's works may be revealed in him. Did God cause all of those years of blindness, all of those years of hardship, just for this moment, for this experience? The life of a growing faith is putting God to the test and trusting that God can take it. Putting God to the test, even if we're not sure we'll like the outcome of our research. Many of you have heard of Ripley's Believe It or Not. It was just a book when I was growing up. Now it's Museums and Aquariums and Haunted Adventures and other books. We can look at pictures in those and choose whether to believe or not that it's real. Did the heaviest human being really look like that? And on their website right now, there's a picture of a, a baby lap giraffe, it's called, that is 15 centimeters high, and, and you see someone's hands holding Uh, you know, this little giraffe. Believe it or not. Look, listen, make your choice. And yet I can't help wonder, but wonder whether some part of belief is not a rational, logical choice. 
when I'm praying and trying to be silent before God and there's a sense of some presence that's beyond me, I can't explain that. I can't prove it. And yet I feel it, so I believe it. Where are you among the four steps of faith we see this man taking in John 9? Is Jesus just a man? Is he a prophet? Or maybe God has sent him into my life, or maybe he's my Lord. Anywhere along that spectrum is an okay place to be. It's it's always a good time and place to ask questions and to examine our faith. At yesterday's Creation Care Workshop at Our Lady of Nazareth, Rebecca Simon Peter talked about Sabbath, among other things. She talked about not only taking a time of rest for ourselves, but for the earth, for the sake of sustaining us and it, the earth. She pointed out that we can start small. It's hard to make a big change in our lives, but we can make small ones. She suggested, she's formerly Jewish, and misses the Sabbath that she participated in when she was an Orthodox Jew. She misses that day of rest. But she says that we could take one minute and set it apart as holy. One anointed minute, just like Orthodox Jews set apart a full day. Maybe that minute would lead to a half an hour at some point, maybe an hour, maybe eventually even to a full day of Sabbath. Start with one minute and see where God can use that. Or maybe you keep Sabbath. Maybe instead the next ream of paper you purchase is 100% recycled. Maybe that's a step towards giving our earth a Sabbath. Maybe the next bag of coffee you buy is free trade coffee. We start by taking one small step. If you don't know what step to take, consider doing what the formerly blind man did. Tell your story. It may be a story of faith, or it may be a story of doubt, but tell it. And you may find, too, your faith growing and deepening. Or if that's too big of a step of faith, Ask someone else to tell his or her story of faith or doubt. Engage them in conversation. Ask the hard questions. If God is who we think, God can take it. We've been focusing on chapter 9 of John's Gospel. Chapter 10 continues the narrative. As Jesus talks about sheep knowing the voice of their shepherd, I am the good shepherd, he says, the one who lays down his life for his sheep. So we don't hear that connection in chapter 9 to Psalm 23, 
but we do in chapter 10. The Lord is my shepherd. And so, take a step. We need not fear the outcome of our doubts. Take one small step, even with the unprovable sense that our good shepherd is taking that step with us. Let's pray. Lord, you have anointed Jesus, and you have anointed us with the waters of baptism. We thank you for the healing that you provide. And we thank you for the opportunities that you give us, the minds that you give us to question you and arrive wherever you may take us. Help us to be courageous enough to tell our stories and to invite others to tell theirs. Help us to not judge, but to listen and grow together. In your name, amen.